0: How many know you got a purpose? Can I hear you make some noise for Jesus? Come on. Brothers, let's turn on all these lights for me, please. Open up your Bibles with me to Acts chapter 19. Open there with me. I'm so excited that you're here. How many believe that God is good all the time? And all the time, God is good. Amen. I want you to help me right now by going to Acts chapter 19. I got to preach a lot today. Uh, Our brothers are new in the back. Tony, would you help them put on these lights right here so we don't have a light side and a dark side? We got everybody in the light today. I'm teaching today on Acts chapter 19 because I want to show you why the book of Ephesians is the book of Ephesians. Somebody say, teach it, Pastor i got to teach you why the book of Ephesians is the book of Ephesians. Thank you, gentlemen. And the book of Ephesians comes from the book of Acts, Acts chapter 19. Now, brother, if you could put up that sermon, I would certainly appreciate it. My heart for you is that you would understand this message called the gospel. Everybody say the gospel. You have to understand the gospel for so many different reasons. Number one, you've got to understand the gospel if you want to go to heaven. This is the only way to go to heaven is by the gospel. You're going to learn what it means. So if you don't know, you're in a perfect place. Many of you gave gave your life to the Lord and got saved at this church from the gospel. How many of you got saved at Metro Praise International? Raise your hands. You can make noise, but I want you to raise your hands. I want to see all the hands up. Come on, raise them up. Look around, guys. Look at all the people who gave their hearts to the Lord at this church. More than half of our church, this is their first church. Now, the other half of you, that means you must have come from another church, and we welcome you. We're so glad that you are here. How many are glad that we're not the only church in the city, the nation, amen? We're we're preaching the gospel, but if you think about it, 50% of you heard the gospel here. That's amazing. The gospel is working, and so those of you who came from other churches, somebody preached the gospel to you. Now, what you have to understand is that the gospel is more than just information. It's revelation that brings transformation. Are you guys listening? Come on. It's more than just information. It's revelation that brings transformation, and it's the hope for the nation. The only way we'll see change in our lives is through the gospel. The only way that you'll see change in this culture is through the gospel. Let's go back to that old story in our mind, the Titanic. The ship is sinking. You're there. Okay, imagine that you're there in this terrifying moment. At the moment of the ship sinking, are you going to the galley to look for money? While the ship is sinking, are you going to start running into the rooms to get the people's gold and jewelry? As the ship is sinking, are you going back to your room to get your dress, ladies? Come on. Or those pair of high heels that you really liked and saved up for. Are you going back for that Gucci purse or whatever? My wife just got all these name brands. You can't keep up with them. Are you going back for that? No, no, you're going back for people, and you're getting off that boat as soon as you can. Now, imagine you're on that boat, and you're kind of like Leonardo DiCaprio. You're this poor beggar. You had to steal or, or, or you know, hide in there and steal your ticket to get on board. Let's say now the boat is sinking, and you're next to the richest man on the earth at that time. Let's say Bill Gates happens to be there. Are you holding on to him to have him help you? Do you think he's going to keep the boat from sinking? You're passing Bill Gates in a 100-yard dash off the edge, aren't you? You're just, you know, you're just going like this. If you are the Leonardo DiCaprio, let's say you haven't fallen in love yet, you all by yourself, you know, you were single ready to mingle, but you didn't meet your love there, you just, and, and, and Bill Gates could be right there, and you may want to help him do all that you can, but you're not looking to him to save you. Now, why is it in the world we look for Bill Gates and the money that he has to save us? He can't save us. Only Jesus Christ can save us. Why is it we're looking for politicians to stop the ship from sinking in this city? You can't expect politicians to stop the ship from sinking. I'm so glad that Chance the Rapper donated money to our schools here, but you can't donate enough money to change the heart of the students. The gospel has to change people's lives. And so today's message, I want you to understand, is more than just information. It's revelation that brings transformation. Are you with me in Acts chapter 19? Okay, now we're going through the book of Ephesians during this time, but I want to take you back to why there is a book of Ephesians. On Paul's second missionary journey, he preached the gospel in Ephesus for around three years. That's why there's a book called Ephesians. What's the name of the city? Ephesus. How long was he there for? three years. Now, this is his second journey. How many missionary journeys did Paul take? He took three. His fourth one was a jail journey to to Rome. He was arrested. He was put there in confinement. But three missionary journeys that he went on to preach the gospel. On the second one, he arrives in Ephesus. That's why there's a book called Ephesians. There's another book called Galatians because he went to Galatia. There's another book called Thessalonians because he went to Thessalonica, or as they call it today, Thessaloniki, and that is where my in-laws are from. My wife is Greek, and her family comes from Greece. Paul went to these cities and preached the gospel, but look at what happens here as a summary in Acts chapter 19. Now look to verse 8. Follow along on the screen if you don't have it. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Is it wrong to argue with people? No, you can argue with people. But is it wrong to argue with a fool? It is. The Bible says, don't throw your pearls to a swine. They'll turn on you and then trample all over the the pearls. But Paul was a tactical preacher. He had no problem doing confrontation and arguing, obviously, in love and respect. In verse 9, it says, some of them became obstinate. That means they refused to believe, and then they publicly maligned the way. That was the name of the Christians at that time. Christianity was not known as Christianity until we became so much like Christ in our everyday life, and there were so many of us, rather, and we were so much like Jesus that the pagans said, These are little Christs. And that's literally what Christian means. Not that we're deified like Christ, but that we reminded of them. But until that point, we were called the way. We were called the way. Some may say, The way. Now, why do you think we were called that? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We believe there was only one way. It was through Jesus. Jesus also said, there is a way that is narrow that leads to eternal life. The way that leads to destruction is broad. So Paul left them. Look at your neighbor and say, you got to leave some people behind. You see, these people didn't want to listen to the gospel, but Paul had to keep preaching the gospel, so he didn't take his past into the present. He left his past behind so that he could experience his future. And look who he took with them. He took the what? The conference attendees with him? The people he sold his books to? No, he took the what? the disciples with him, and had daily discussions with him in the lecture hall of Tyranius. So they didn't want him in the Jewish synagogue, so he goes to the pagan temple or to pagan hall here named Tyranius and starts renting it out. It would be literally like us not being welcome in churches around here. So we went, rent the bowling alley. We start having church there. This went on for about two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. I want to tell you right here, Paul was a gospel preacher. Paul was going from city to city preaching the gospel he made sure that both jews and greeks heard it and when people didn't want it he found those who did he spent time with time with them teaching them and everybody heard the word of the lord how many want to see that happen in chicago how many want to leave some things behind get with disciples and go preach the gospel that's what we're called to do a hundred thousand disciples in this city do you believe god can do it Amen. And then here's a testimony of the power that was with him. Verse 11, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even his handkerchiefs, they've been carrying handkerchiefs for a while. Amen. Preachers have been doing this for a while. I don't know what he was doing with his handkerchief, but I get hot under these lights. And you know, just a matter of fact, I get hot anywhere I go, so I always got a handkerchief with me when I'm preaching. I used to go to the inner city of Fort Wayne, Indiana, drop off groceries, and it would be so hot in there, no air conditioning. I started carrying around one of these because some Somebody gave it to me from their house as a, as a towel, as a dish rag. I didn't even know that preachers used to carry these around because I had left the church for a long time. And so when I came back to church and I was carrying these around, I was like, aha, there's other preachers carrying around handkerchiefs. How many have ever saw preachers have a rag on them like this? Now, would you want this to put on your sick body? I don't know. But you know what? Paul's handkerchiefs healed the sick. Aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. I'm not saying that it will happen now. I'm not also saying it can't happen later. Amen? You may get desperate for God and grab a hold of this, and God might do something through your life, into your life. But I'll tell you this. I'll never, I'll never charge you for it. I'll never be on TV trying to sell it to you. So let it be done according to your faith. But the man of God was preaching the gospel of God, and the people of God received it, and God showed up and showed off, showed his power in mighty ways. And so that's how the book of Ephesians gets to us in our hands. Those are the people that he's writing, encouraging them in the passage we've been going to, and he reminds them of the importance of the gospel. So let's go to this passage that we're in. If you're new, we're going through the whole book of Ephesians this year, and this is where we're at right now we're just about done with it. Look at verse 3 of chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with how many spiritual blessings? Every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now think about this. Where is Paul right now as he's writing this letter? He's in jail. Can you imagine him looking at the Roman guard saying, you may have my body locked up, but my spirit's in heavenly places right now. You need to understand that no matter what you're going through on the outside, it doesn't change anything on the inside. You, not, you need to stop telling God how big your problems are and tell your problems how big God is. Paul starts off praising God and says, I am blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. Are you here by accident? No, God purposed and planned for you to be here. And how does he want you to be? To be holy and what else? Blameless in his sight. That's how God sees the born again person you may see yourself through the eyes of your past. You may put yourself down. You may believe the lies that the devil tells you. That didn't really work. You're not really changed. But true faith is confessing you are who God said you are. If he says you're a new creation on the confession of your faith, then you are a new creation. If he says you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, then that is who you are. You are the righteousness of God. If he says, I see you holy and blameless, that is who you are in his sight. When you believe you are who God God said you are, you will live like he said you can live. We do not live to try to be holy. We do not live to try to be blameless. We are blameless and are holy, and that's why we can do holy things and stop sinning. I be holy. I can do holy. Are you understanding the difference? I don't do holy stuff to be holy. I be holy. He made me holy at the day I accepted him because of the gospel. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. We supported uh, Tisa and Jean well beyond our goal. Thank you Metro Praise International. And the greatest thing that they do there is that they have an orphanage adopting the unwanted children of that area. You were adopted from the orphanage of the devil. That wicked orphan keeper, that wicked Wicked father, the devil kept us there illegitimately, kept us locked up. And when Jesus came to rescue us, He didn't come and just pick the best among us. He didn't come and pick the orphan Annie. Some of you may have to watch that to remember who orphan Annie is, who could sing and dance and win her, win over her parents, adoptive parents' heart. No, He said, I choose all of you. I love the entire world. Whoever believes can be saved. Whoever comes into Christ can be adopted, made a son or daughter. Amen. And that's why we call our children's ministry king's kids we are king's kids kids and children of the king and he did this for his glory because he loves us and in him we have redemption through his blood this is the grace of God really this is the introduction to Paul even introducing us to the word of the gospel word gospel hasn't even come up but all of this is the gospel in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us how did God give us grace Just enough to get us through the day or more than enough? Did he give you more than enough to forgive your enemies? How about to love people who don't love you? If God's been so gracious with you, you can be gracious with others. With all wisdom and understanding, look what he did. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. The mystery of his will, which he purposed in Christ, is the gospel. This is what you were created for. When we fell, it didn't catch God off guard. The gospel plan was put in motion. When he's sacrificing animals, or commanding rather, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to make sacrifices being culminated in the sacrificial lamb at Passover, and Yom Kippur, that day of atonement when they would place their sins upon these sacrifices and let one go into the wilderness as a scapegoat. Have you ever heard of scapegoat? That's literally a Bible concept. One animal would die, the other one would have all the curses put on it, and they would send it out in the wilderness to die a wretched death. And the idea is there is that one day Jesus is going to come, take our curses for us, be the lamb that dies for our sins, so that he can be our high priest forever, atoning not only for the Christian sins, but for the sins of the world. Amen? And the mystery is it's not just for Jewish people. It is also for Gentiles. The Bible is divided among two kinds of people. There's only one race, the human race, but God divided the people people among Jew and non-Jew. The Abrahamic line is where Jesus came from, and that was for the sake of redemption. But now because of Jesus, we are no longer separated. We are brought together in Christ. Verse 10, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to how many things? All things in heaven and on earth under Christ. The will of God is for the human race to be united in Christ with angels and with animals. How many are ready for that day? How many are ready just to see a Gabriel walking around? How many are ready to see a lion lay with a lamb? How many are ready to have all types of animals that you can hang out with and be just their friends, you know? Have monkeys, whatever you like. They're going to be a part of our kingdom. Verse 11 says, in him you were also chosen, having been predestined. Look at this part according to the plan of him who works out how many things? Everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Everything in your life is working towards this. So when we talk about the gospel, it's everything. It's all up in this. All that we have done, whether bad or good, God turns for his glory in the gospel. Outside of the gospel, you get judged and condemned for your sins. But there's hope for us who have past that we're ashamed of. Because in the gospel, he even uses those things for his glory. I look back on my life when I knew the Lord at eight years old. I was born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit at eight at a children's camp. But I turned and walked away from God, and over those next 10 years, I ruined my life from 8 to 18, started getting arrested, started having the wrong kinds of friends, and I want to tell you, that's one of my biggest regrets of life, is that I wasted a decade of my life, and now when I talk to my children, who are 8 years old, I have to tell them a lesson that I didn't live, and so you listen to me, teenagers, or soon-to-be backsliders here, if you're thinking that backsliding is a good idea, because, oh, I'll come back, no, listen to me, don't ever take that chance, you're not promised you're going to come back, And then if you do come back, you may bear scars with you. Now, I know God heals the scars, and I have them on my leg from trying to break into a gas station window, and maybe you don't judge me by it, but I'm ashamed of that scar. I'm ashamed of what I did in perversion and violence and anger. And it's those memories that I had to have God wash me over and over and over again when I got married and I started raising my children that I wouldn't act out on my past. So listen to me, young person. Do not live a day in sin thinking you'll come back because you don't know what those days of sin will cost you. Oh, that I could love him one more day than I have already loved him instead of November 5th if it would have been November 4th, if it would have been November 3rd, if it would have been November 1st. Can anybody say amen to that? How many believe that? Amen. This is, a, but the, here's the good part: is that He still uses those days for His glory. Now I can tell you that testimony. I can tell you the brokenness of this world. But I can warn you not to experience it firsthand. Keep going in order that we who the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. Paul was saying we were the first. The disciples were the first here to do it. But you guys can be a part of it too. Let's read 13 together. One, two, three. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with the seal, the promise. Holy Spirit. That's our verse for today. And the concept there is that God includes us in Christ with Paul and the other apostles. They've already run their race according to Hebrews chapter 12. Now we're running ours. We can look to them as an example, but there is no difference in standing with them today. There is no Jew or Gentile privilege in the church today. All of us are the same in Christ. There is no male or female privilege in the body of Christ today. We are all equal. There is no Hispanic body of Christ, African American body of Christ, white Anglo body of Christ. There is one body of Christ from all the nations of the world coming together to be the new humanity in Christ. Amen? And the Holy Spirit is that seal, which we'll be talking about next week, the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. And what is he to us now? He is that deposit guaranteeing our inheritance, that the gospel is true, and that our redemption is coming. We are God's possession to the praise of God's glory. So how do I know I get a new body? Because I know I got a new spirit. How do I know that there's going to be a new earth? Because I've already seen this one. And if God made this one and sin has corrupted it, as surely as he said, let light come out of darkness, he's going to make darkness come out of this place when his light comes back. Are you listening? He's going to restore the Garden of Eden through the new Jerusalem upon this earth. And your body that dies and becomes dust will be resurrected as Jesus' body was resurrected. There's a life to come. Don't trade the gospel for things that are not of value. Value the gospel today, and you're going to learn what uh, what the gospel means and what this passage is teaching us. Here's all the messages we've gone through before. Next week we're going to do number 12 in this series. Uh, Well, excuse me, we will not be doing number 12 because I think gospel is going to be a three-part. So we're in the book of Ephesians having 14 points just in this part of Ephesians. Now there's going to be three if you would just move it down like sub point ABC of the gospel. Because I got 12 facts about the gospel, and I only got to three in the first service. Somebody say, help us, Lord. So we're going to take our time understanding the gospel. Here are the words that you need to know as we read that passage in 13, that we were included with the disciples, the church of old, when we heard the message of truth, that gospel of our salvation, when we believed. I have the Greek words there with you because uh, if you want to learn any Greek words in the Bible, these are the ones you want to know. These are some of the most important ones. Truth is aletheia, and it means all that corresponds to God's reality. Remember, God is truth. That's why truth exists. And so the message of truth sets us free from errors. How many have heard the old saying, the devil's a liar? Well, what sets you free from lies? Truth. So what's going to set people who have same-sex attraction free? What's going to set them free from that lie? Truth. What's going to set the man that wants to cheat on his wife free from the lie of adultery? Truth. What's going to set the gangbanger free from the idea that it's worth dying for a block on the west side or south side? Come on, somebody. What's going to set Donald Trump free and all these politicians free from perversion, you know, corruption? What's going to set them free? Truth, right? So the only thing that sets us free from lies is truth. Devil is a liar. God is truth. Which one do you want? Truth. Except truth. Some of you have locked yourselves in your own jail cell, and you got the key in your hand. And the key that you locked yourself in with is called unbelief. If you choose to believe in Christ, you can come out of that jail cell by the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says when you hear the Word of God, faith comes. So faith comes by hearing the Word of God. So it's your choice to believe what it is. God will never force you to do it. That's why when Jesus came with the truth, as I've heard atheists say, why didn't Jesus create some new technology buried in the ground, tell us in the Bible where it is so that when that technology comes, he could prove to us all these things he did, on video camera or something like that. Isn't that just like a foolish atheist to try to use their brain and intelligence to disprove a God who gave them a brain and intelligence? Isn't that just what the fool does? And I pity the fool, amen? But listen, God didn't come through Jesus Christ to put on a show. He wasn't here to be the next Chris Angel. He wasn't here to be the next Vegas Act. He came to give us truth. And even in the perspective of the people who were around at that time, None of it convinced them unless they wanted to believe. Even the ones who saw Lazarus raised from the dead, the Jewish people who saw that, guess what they wanted to do with Lazarus? Kill him. (laughs) No, you just saw the man raised from the dead. But you're so angry, believing a lie, that you can't be convinced otherwise. As a matter of fact, now they have confirmation bias as a part of psychology that teaches us how the mind operates. When you want to believe something so bad, you will lie to yourself and make everything confirm the lie, even though it's being confronted. Confirmation bias. How many have let God confront you with the truth and you've been set free? Amen. If you haven't, today's your day. The next word that we need to learn is the one that's about today, gospel, evangelion. It's the good news about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. So when we say we're talking about the gospel, we're talking about Jesus dying on the cross, being buried, raising again. That's what changes our lives. This is not the message of Islam. This is not the message of a yogi or some type of a Hindu uh, master that wants to tell you to, you know, they continue to do the crooked chicken and, you know, only eat vegetables and tofu. This is not a fortune cookie from Buddha giving you some little saying that when the drop of water goes into the river, it becomes one with the river and then into the ocean. So become that drop of water in the river of life to the ocean comes, you know, this kind of pantheistic view of God. That is not the gospel. This is the gospel in one verse. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. The gospel is not a message of self-help. It is not a motivational message. A lot of people have gone to churches where they think they've heard the gospel, but what they really have heard is a motivational message. A motivational message goes something like this You can make it. You got what it takes. You just stick through this and you're going to make it. And maybe they'll put a little tagline of God on there. And yes, it's true, God's going to get you through situations, but the gospel is not about you and your American dream. The gospel is about the glory of God coming through you and changing the world for the kingdom to come the gospel starts off with denial not selfish ambition it carries a cross not a Rolls Royce and it follows Jesus not the best speaker of our time the death burial and resurrection will have you confront your past and say I can't live in it and still claim to be a Christian the Christian knows they are either a sinner or a saint To be lukewarm makes God want to spit you out of his mouth, Revelation 3.16. The gospel says, I was born a sinner, but now I'm born again a saint. I was born dead in sin, born again righteous in God. I was born busted and disgusted. Now I'm healed from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet from the inside out. The gospel changes things. It is not a five-step, ten-step program. Salvation soteria, where we get the study of salvation soteriology, is to be delivered from sin, judgment, and death. The gospel tells you sin is no longer your master. Righteousness is. You are a slave to righteousness, not to the addictions of sin. Judgment doesn't make you afraid because judgment for you is the time to be rewarded for your good works upon this earth. And you're not afraid to die, though death may be a part of your life. One of my favorite preachers right now, Dr. Nabil Qureshi, it's on my Facebook page, converted from Islam, became a Christian scholar, is now with stage four cancer, has all of his hair going out because of chemotherapy, but yet he preached two weeks ago about the goodness of our God in the midst of suffering. You see, that man's been delivered from the fear of death. He knows who he belongs to. He belongs to Jesus, and he knows Jesus will take care of him. And the last word there, believe, is pestuo. It means to put your trust in God. How many put their trust in God today? How many know we have uh, dollar bills and coins that say, in God we trust, but more people put it in the money than they do in God? Put your trust in God today. Can somebody say, preach it? Amen. Let me tell you how Paul referenced the gospel in the book of Ephesians. He did it in one you You've already read it. It's the gospel of your salvation. It's the message of truth. It happens when you believe. Does it happen when you fast 10 days? Does it happen when you see a priest? Does it happen when you do a bunch of good things? No, when you what? Believed. Help me preach. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. The seal is like a lock inside of your heart. No devil in hell can take you out of God's hands. As, uh, as Ephesians chapter 3 verse 6 says, The mystery is made known now, and that is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel. How many are you, are, are you here today with me are Gentiles, non-Jewish people? You don't have Jewish in your blood. Now, a lot of you over here didn't raise your hand. So are you guys Jewish? Shalom aleichem. Are you guys Jewish? You guys celebrate the Passover, the feast? Okay, one more time. How many of you are not Jewish by birth? Raise your hands. That's pretty much this whole church. Aren't you happy God included you in the gospel? A lot of the people were upset that Jesus didn't come and conquer the Roman government. If he would establish established his kingdom in 30 AD, there would have been a few thousand Jews in the kingdom. When Jesus comes back to rule and reign this earth, how many people you think are going to be there? Billions. He did it for Jew and Gentile. Amen? And we're members together with one body, shared together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Now, there was a purpose for the Jews, and their purpose is not over yet. How many know Jerusalem still belongs to the Jewish people? And we must pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That doesn't give them permission to do whatever wicked thing they may do, because Jewish people can sin as well. They crucified Jesus. But we love them and forgive them because we know we have been wicked. They have just been God's human illustration of people who do the wrong thing, but he loves anyway. So how many are happy God hasn't given up on the Jews? Because he hasn't given up on you either, has he? He's been good to you, praise God. In Ephesians 6.15, talking about the weapons of our warfare, spiritual warfare, it says, have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of what? The gospel of peace. You should wear the gospel of peace as shoes wherever you go. Whatever you don't do for the gospel will burn up in eternity. We will not talk about your job in eternity, but if you brought the gospel to your job, we will talk about how God used that job for the gospel. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Whatever you let go of and give to the kingdom, you get to hold on to for eternity. Whatever you hold on to and don't give God, you lose for eternity. You don't give God your family, will be forgotten in eternity. You don't give God your money and your job, forgotten in eternity. Let me give you an example of two sports stars. If Baez is not born again and doesn't do his home runs and his fielding for the Lord, that Chicago Cubs player's feats will be forgotten in eternity. Yet an Oakland Raider who most of us could care less about that team, if that man, Mr. Carr, who gave his tithe, lives for the Lord, enters the kingdom of God as a Christian, all that he has done will be remembered in the kingdom of God. You are to bring the gospel of peace everywhere you go. Amen? Amen. And then if you ever pray for me, pray this for me. This is what Paul said at the end of Ephesians. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Isn't it still a mystery to this culture? How a man 2,000 years ago could die on a cross and change your life? I mean, people don't get it, do they? They look at you like you're weird. I mean, they've heard the story. They understand Christmas, Easter. But they really don't see the practical applications of it. They compare our religion to all the other religions, our figure to their figures, and they have no idea. It's a mystery to them. But how many of you have had that mystery revealed that Jesus changes your life? And how many now want to fearlessly share it to the world? One of the first things that Jesus said to his disciples was, come follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. I have it on today's devotion as we have 30 days of discipleship devotions this month for our church. If you have not received the call to fish for men, you have not met the fisher of men, Jesus Christ. You have to receive the call. Some people say, pastor, I'm not called to go win souls. Well, then you didn't receive a call to Jesus then. Jesus never bribed us with the sweet promises of heaven, though they're going to be sweeter than anyone can imagine. They will be more beautiful than any eye that has set on things of this earth. But he didn't bribe us with those things, did he? He said, come follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. Paul said, pray for me that I can fearlessly preach the gospel. When was the last time you prayed for me to fearlessly preach the gospel? Would you remember me in your prayers as I pray for you that we can finish our race? Look at your neighbor and say, here comes the message. Now, here are the 12 facts about the gospel that you must know. These are the facts that will change your life, not only today, because the gospel is not a one-time experience that a sinner has to get saved. The gospel is the motivation of every person's life in the kingdom of God. I like it as Paul said, I have set my eyes upon the cross and determined to not know anything else. You could say it like this, everywhere I go, I'm cross-eyed. I can't do it myself, but maybe somebody here wants to do a for me cross side, but I mean cross side like this. Through my glasses I see the world and through the cross I see you. I see the world, I see my enemies, I see the future, I see what's going on in the Middle East. I see it through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I see my wife, my children, I see all that we're supposed to do in this church through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Every good businessman, every good young person, every person here that's in college or going to school, every mother, every father, see your life through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here are the 12 things that I will not be able to get to. How many did I get to in the first service, if you remember? Three. Let's see if I can get there. I'm talking fast. But you're going to learn these because they're important. You can go back and do them on your own through the, throughout the week. Study them on the app. Here we go. Number one, Jesus preached the gospel. Number two, Jesus made disciples to live for the gospel. Number three, Jesus promised that the gospel would be preached in the whole world. That's why you and I are here today. Number four, Jesus commanded his disciples to preach the gospel to the whole world. So he didn't send angels. He sent us. The disciples obeyed and preached the gospel. How many are happy that they obeyed? Amen. Disciples like Paul preached the gospel because they knew of its power. How many know the gospel's got power? There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There is power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. There's power in the blood of the Lamb. Number seven, preaching the gospel is all disciples' priestly duty. You are a peculiar people called out from among the world. Now you are aliens here. And I don't mean an illegal alien that needs to worry about uh, the border patrol or La Migra looking for you. I'm talking about an alien that doesn't belong on this planet anymore. You have a spirit birth from the heavenly realms, and you're waiting for heaven to come to this earth. You are a stranger passing through, and your job as a stranger is to be an ambassador of the king and tell the world to prepare for his coming. It's your priestly duty. The devil hides the gospel from sinners. Ever met somebody that didn't like the gospel, didn't understand the gospel, thought it was dumb and boring, yet they could understand video games. They could remember all the players from the Cubs or the Bulls, yet they could do well on their job. They could get an education, get PhDs, but the gospel just seemed to be a mystery. They couldn't figure out. Why? Because the devil is in the business of hiding the gospel. If the devil can get you to go to church and not hear the gospel, he'll settle with that. Listen to me. Oftentimes, the devil will get people to go to a church just so they'll scratch the religious itch because he knows the gospel will not be preached there. Then when they're confronted with the gospel, it will be so strange to them, but yet they'll think they're okay because they go to what? They go to church. The devil loves false gospels. The devil loves to lull you to sleep with lukewarm religion. And the devil is here to hold that back, but we're here to tear down the gates of hell. Amen. Get you the real gospel. False gospels are to be rejected. They were in the time of Christ, the early disciples, and they're with us today. Preached to two Mormons at Bodiqua Fest. Had my dreams come true. And then I preached to two Jehovah Witnesses in front of my house yesterday with my daughter for an hour. Another dream come true. It is a joy for me to confront false gospels. Why? Because I know that God loves them. I know that God cares about them. I'm not any better than them. Amen? We need to tell them the truth. When they knock at your door, say, thank you for coming. I've been waiting for you. And don't do what other people used to do. Come call the pastor and have me on speaker. You preach the gospel to them. Amen? Amen. Number 10, disciples are to live worthy of the gospel. That's the standard. The standard is Jesus. How did Jesus live his life? How did Jesus live a sacrificial life? That's how we live. Number 11, disciples are to serve and work for the gospel. There's no ifs, ands, or buts here. This is not a cruise ship. This is a battleship. You are not allowed to just go sunbathing all the time. Now, don't feel sorry for yourself. Working for the Lord is a lot of fun. You know why? Because it's the Father's business. When Jesus was here, he says, I'm always about my Father's business. Can you think of a better father to work for, a better boss? He'll take care of us. He'll love on us. He gave us the principle of working six days, resting one. He says, you do these things first. I'll take care of all these things over here in your life. And when we work for the gospel, what else did he say? You have eternal treasures in heaven. Those things that will last forever. And lastly, God will punish those who don't obey the gospel. Somebody say, teach it. Amen. Let's go to the first one. Just follow along on the screen or with your Bibles as we learn about the gospel. Now, let me say this as a way to understand who I am as a preacher of the gospel. If we were to go to O'Hare Airport today, there would be hundreds of planes. Would you pick a plane based on its looks to take a journey to, say, Houston? Houston. No, you would take a plane based on the gate number of your ticket for the flight that goes to Houston. Can I hear an amen? And you just don't take any flight to Houston. You want the one that you paid for online. Flight for Houston, 2.30 p.m., gate number four, flight 1927. That's the one you want. Now, when you go there, you're not going to sit and stare at that plane and make judgments of it compared to the other plane if you're smart. I mean, you can look at it in one way and just be like, I don't like this dumb plane. But if you're smart, you're going to understand it's a lot better than walking to Houston. Hello. And even though we complain a lot about airports and the things that we have to deal with, at least we're not taking a horse and buggy somewhere or taking three weeks on a ship somewhere. Okay, so if you're smart, you're going to look at that plane, be thankful for what it is. It's an easy thing to do. But yet when we pick churches, we don't pick churches according to destinations, do we? We pick churches according to looks. Now, I'm not trying to say small churches are better and spiritual and big churches are bad because we're going to be a big church. And for many people, we are a big church right now for them. We had the side sections filled in the first service. They're giving you a run for your money. Close to 250, 300 right now, including children. But I love this church whatever size it was or is. I loved it when it was small in my house. I love it when it's 100,000 the same. I love my children. Loved my first one with all my heart. Never thought I could love another child that way. But once I saw Hannah come out the womb, I loved her with all my heart. And that's a taste of heaven, how God can love all of us with all of his heart. Amen? But people pick churches based on the exterior. Look how awesome that building is. Look how cool the music is. But you see, many people are on the wrong plane. They're taking them places that the Bible says not to go. I love choirs. I love TV ministry. I love books. I love conferences. But I think in the church, we have lost the power of those things. We charge people for our conferences, but there's no real freedom that comes from these anymore. It's man-centered, man-ideas. The gospel was freely given. It should be freely given away. We love the worship. I get it. We listen to them on the radio, but now we got to pay to go see them at the United Center or whatever, $25, $30. When did worship ever cost a ticket? I understand a love offering. We should bless the workers, but why has the gospel become so much about this? Because we switched what it was, and now is it any coincidence that we have all of these paid conferences, more books being sold, more television audiences for Christians, and yet we are the most unchristian we've ever been. Billy Graham with the Free Crusade in Soldier Stadium did more for us than any conference we've ever paid for because he gave it away freely. He taught the gospel. He taught it with power. He lived it out. The preachers of old did the same thing, white, black, Latino, Asian, whatever part of the world you're from. All of us have our ancestry and our cultures to real gospel preachers. When when, uh, Pentecost was revisited at Azusa Street, black, white, Asian, European, all came together, fell down, went boom, wept on the floor. Prayed and cried out to God for hours, changed the world, built 600 million disciples around the world. And so the question I want to ask you is, are you going to follow the gospel in this church? Because I can't promise you a bigger stage right now. can't promise you more lights and smoke. I can't promise you we'll always have your style of music. I can't promise you that I'll dress in a way that's to your fashionable liking. I can't promise you that my sense of humor growing up in Fort Wayne, Indiana, with a bunch of suburban kids skateboarding and watching stupid TV shows is going to be your sense of humor. I can't promise you that. I can't promise you any of those superficial things. This is what I can promise you. All aboard, choo, choo. This is a gospel Center church. The goal is to win souls and make disciples. It doesn't matter. All of the other exterior things can come and go. Fifty churches are on the board. I think they'll all look different. I think the church in Little Village will look, look different from the church in the loop. I think churches on the south side might have different worship music than a church in Barrington. Are you listening to me? But are we going for that, or are we going for the destination, the gospel? Jesus preached the gospel. Look at what he says. Matthew 9, 35, Jesus went to all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming his conference was only 999 for the first registration people. Then for late registration, it was 129. Is that what it says? What did he proclaim? The good news, which is another word for the gospel, of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. He didn't say, wow, we got more people here, charge more money. I heard a TV preacher yesterday literally take up a 15-minute offering to convince 250 people to give $1,000 each. And I was ashamed to call myself a pastor after hearing this man do that. If I would have been the guest speaker because I wanted to listen to the guest speaker, and I have no problems with you being rich and being rich and giving. Listen to me. We have no problem with Bill Gates coming to this church, with you driving a Lamborghini. Be as rich as God makes you to be, but be rich in giving. Amen? You give your tithe to the Lord. The Bible says you can do whatever you want with that 90%. We are not a poverty-stricken mindset church here. I give you permission to be blessed, but I have a problem with manipulation. And I heard this man manipulate over and over and over again. I was so ashamed. That's not what Jesus did. When Jesus saw crowds, he didn't try to get money out of them. He tried to get the kingdom into them. Somebody put that on Facebook. Jesus didn't try to get money out of the crowds with compassion. He tried to put the kingdom inside of them. He said to harass helpless sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, what did he say to his disciples? Come on and follow me. We're doing worship conferences around the city. We're doing plays. Peter's dressing up like Moses. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. But the worshipers are few. But the singers are few. No, the workers are few. I know people who will worship, but they won't work. I know people who will go to church, but won't work in the kingdom of God. I know people who will give their tithe and leave it to me to do the work, but they won't do it. He said, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest for a new car, a new house. I believe God will bless us. But what's the first thing we are to do if we're kingdom-minded? Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. There's a gospel-centered man right there, if I've ever met one. The founder of our movement, our Lord and Savior, showed us what it meant to be gospel-centered. He was preaching it in the forefront, or rather to the future. He hadn't died yet, been buried or resurrected, but he was telling them, that's what I came to do. When he washed their feet, he gave them a visual. Here is the king of glory, the creator of the universe, on his hands and knees. What is he doing? Washing their feet because he said, I came to serve, not to be served. Come on, somebody. Jesus made disciples to live for the gospel. How many know Jesus is good at what he does? Look at what it says in Mark 8:34. Then he called the crowd alongside with his disciples and said to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must want to first have their best life now, claim a million-dollar blessing, and go to church and come on out and make us look good. Is that what he says? Whoever wants to be my disciple will have the most easiest life they have ever imagined. Things will always work out for them. He says whoever wants to be my disciple must first deny themselves. Do I still believe in blessings? Read Psalm chapter 1 and ask yourself Does Pastor believe in blessings? I believe the whole Bible, friends. But it, the truth is, we have traded self denial for selfish ambitions. We say it's God, but it's really us. We don't want to take up our cross. Like I said, we want to take up our Rolls Royce, and we don't want to follow Jesus. We want to follow some motivational speaker. But Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, deny yourself. It's no longer about you. You don't call the shots anymore. If I want you to witness to this man, that's what you do. If I want you to raise your family this way for my gospel, that's what you do. Now look at what he says, verse 35. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and the what? And the gospel will save. well, I just love Jesus. I'm not called to preach the gospel. I'm not called to forward the gospel. Is that what he said? He said you got to lose your life for him and the gospel. What will you give in exchange for your soul? What if you got the whole world? You'll still lose in the end, won't you? Imagine this. You're in a plane. God forbid the engines go out. Nobody's got parachutes. Kind of back to this example of the Titanic. You got Bill Gates jumping out the door, and you got you jumping out the door. Who's going to hit the ground faster? Come on, both of you. Will all the riches in the world stop that man from falling? Rachel, would you come, please? You got to hear this today. The Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Greatest humanity's fall. You can no more save yourself than you can save yourself from falling by grasping air. Think about that illustration. Could you grasp air as you're floating through the air, as you're falling through the air? Could you grasp it to hold you up? No, you couldn't. And so we look to things of this world to save us, but Jesus says, I am your only Savior. This is how you are saved. And then he wants us to tell the world, one beggar who has found bread, telling the rest of the beggars where the bakery is. Or anyone who can, what can you give in exchange for your soul? Because if anyone's ashamed of me, and my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, if God called his generation 2,000 years ago sinful and adulterous, what do you think he calls this? Katy Perry, Miley Cyrus, Kanye West, Jay-Z, all these sports stars wasting their money, all these entertain. what do you think he would call this generation? The Kardashian, sinful and adulterous. Do you ever feel like you don't fit in? After you got saved, do you ever feel like you don't fit in? It's because you're not sinful and adulterous anymore. It's because you've been changed from the inside. How many know sin feels icky? don't feel like it used to. Why? Because God's on the inside of you. That seal we talked about says, if you're ashamed of him, he'll be ashamed of you. And this adulterous and sinful generation, when the Son of God comes with his Father's glory and with the holy angels, Look at what he told them in Matthew chapter 24, 12 and onward in closing. Look at what he said. He said, I'm going to make a promise to you. Now remember about that plane going somewhere to Houston? Let's imagine Jesus was the pilot of that plane. And he said, I promise you, just like these disciples got on a boat and went to the other side, don't worry about the storms. Whatever happens, I promise you, you're making it to that destination. Here's Jesus giving you an actual sign of the times. Here's his promise. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12, there will be an increase of wickedness. Has that come true? Somebody say, yes, Lord, if it has. The love of most will grow cold. Can I hear a yes, Lord? 80% of Chicagoans claim to be Christians. How many of their love has grown cold if they ever knew the Lord? But now look at verse 13, but the one who stands, to the, stands firm to the end will be saved. And this what? And this TV show? And this fashion? And this song and dance presentation, this movie, no, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Can everybody look up at me, please, in closing? There is only one reason why this planet is still here, so that we can receive the gospel and preach the gospel. Single men and ladies, I am sorry to tell you this. The earth is not continuing so you can get married and get it on. I'm just here to be honest with you. God don't care. You can live your whole life holy, have your wife or husband ready, and be right there at the altar. You're planning out the whole honeymoon, and then Jesus can go. And that's it. Your time to have done it is now over. But you'll be satisfied in the kingdom, by the way. But listen to me, he is is not basing his second coming, his return on our marriages. He is not basing it upon our goals and dreams. Well, God, I want to retire with a half a million dollars so I can move to Arizona and live in Sedona where there's a cool breeze coming off the mountains, right? Doesn't Sedona have the breezes? I want to retire. God, don't come back too soon. I've worked too hard for this. There is only one reason why this world is still here today, so that you can receive the gospel, and then that you can go out and preach the gospel. Can I have you stand to your feet and give it up for Jesus, the Lord of the gospel? Amen. Let's give it up. Can somebody say, thank you, Jesus? Come on. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. Woo. We love you today, God. There is none like you. All to workers in band, would you come in closing? My best guess is I'll be preaching on the gospel for the next three weeks. You guys going to come and hear about it? You want to hear the rest of the points and apply it to your life? It will change your life. Everything you do needs to be revolved around the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Just think in your mind some of the challenges you have in life. Are you, like me, discouraged by the news? The gospel is the answer to the news. When you see the hideous things in our world, you should want to pray and say, God, Send us to preach the gospel. Going through family troubles today? Bring your family around the cross of Jesus Christ because it's the only hope to heal broken families. Have big dreams and visions to prosper? That's awesome. How do you filter your dreams to prosper? Through the gospel. That's why when you're a Dan Kathy, and you've got a little small business, Chick-fil-A, and there's only one location, but the Lord tells you, I'm going to use this for my glory. You're going to give all that you do on that job for Jesus. You're going to make the best chicken. You're going to come up with creative ideas about not eating cows. Eat more chicken. Little cow's going to hold it up, and God's going to send people around you. Oh, and then what happens for some people like this? You find yourself a billionaire. You've changed the way we look at fast food. And the church and the missions that you help don't get checks of a hundred or a thousand, but millions and hundreds of millions. Hobby Lobby, same story. I knew a church that worked with Green and how the founder of uh, of that big multi-billion dollar organization ties every year off that income. They make two to three billion a year, two to three hundred million dollars. And he finds churches to support, missions to support. Filter it through the gospel because that's what will remain. When you get to heaven, what do you think you'll talk about? We won't talk about the guy who hit the ball over the the fence, but we'll talk about the one who served God. If he hit the ball over the fence for the Lord, then that's a good story in heaven, isn't it? Think of it like this. Give me a few moments. It's holiday weekend. I know some of you got to go to work. Some of you taking some extra time off, but please just let me go OT right here. Watch this. 4th of July. Are we talking about Nazi Germany at, at, at 4th of July? Nazi Germany was so awesome. Hitler, he was like the best. No, if you're a true American, you dislike what Nazi Germany did. Are you going to talk about communists in Russia? Russia was so awesome in the, the gulags and the places that they tortured their own people. Oh, man, that's so awesome. No. If you're like me, 4th of July, you're going to basically say to all your British and European friends, take that, we won. And then you're going to talk about what God did in America. For better or for worse, God did something in America. Right? What do you think we're going to talk about in heaven? The things of the devil? That will be as disgusting to us then as Nazi Germany is now being glorified on 4th of July. Come on, get it. And it looks so, like, important here, doesn't it? Like, what Bill Gates is really? what he did, he was so important. What, what Steve Jobs do, oh, look at the computer, take that, so important. when we get to the kingdom it will literally be like ash blown away and then what will remain is the stories that you tell the stories to say man i accepted jesus at this part of my life i told this person about jesus when i worked my job i did it unto jesus this one quick last story here's my third closing a man got saved he had 22 counts against him God convicted him to go turn himself in. Now, you know you got saved if that's what you do. I got too many people in church. I ain't going to point them out, but they just happy the Lord delivered him from them charges. Thank you, Jesus. I had 10 counts against me. Some of y'all need to repent to make sure you don't have that against you on judgment day, okay? So he goes to the jail and says, I got to make this right. They charge him with all 22 felons. Blow him up. No mercy. They want to see how real he really is. They put him in there. I don't know the full story, but that's what happens. I know it from a reliable source. David Wood tells the story. Dr. David Wood of answering Islam. But guess who his roommate is? An atheist suicidal kid who just put a ball peen hammer to his dad with psychotic behavior, hit his dad eight times, tried to kill him. This Christian said, for the gospel's sake, I'm going to go back to jail if I have to to make my reputation right. He leads to the Lord David Wood. David Wood, now is married, serves God, and is one of the best apologists, preachers against Islam with the truth. Amen? So I don't care where the gospel takes you. It may take you back to jail. It may take you to the high rise of the Trump Tower, and you meet him there. It may take you to the janitor's office tomorrow. Wherever you go, bring that gospel. Amen. Let's pray now in closing. Father, First and foremost, we thank you for the gospel and we make sure that we have received it. With every head bowed and eyes closed, have you received the gospel? If you hadn't, haven't, repent of your sins right now and say, I believe in Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. I want to be saved. I want to be born again. Those of you who already are saved, thank Him for the gospel. Just thank Him for what He's taken you through. Thank Him for what He's done in your life. Thank Him for all the years that you've been spared especially those of us who have been saved for a while. Come on, testify. Thank you, Lord, for your salvation. Thank you for the gospel of mercy. And now let's turn our attention towards the lost. Keep praying, those of you who need the gospel, as you're thanking Him, turn your attention towards three people in your life you want to see saved. You want to see them changed. You want to see them born again. You don't ever want to see them the same again. Right now, before we go, Rachel, just sing softly. We'll dismiss together in this prayer time. But before we go, right now, come on, sing as they pray, please. Jesus, Jesus, pray for three people that you may see a Fourth of July that don't know the Lord. My neighbor, Stephen, Michelle, Lord, save them. My brother-in-law, sister-in-law, save them. Friends and family, our co-workers. We want the gospel, and we want to share the gospel. 30 more seconds. Thank you for your patience today. Jesus, do it because you said you would. We trust you today. Amen. Can everybody place their hand over their heart and say this? I was included in Christ when I believed the gospel. Come on, one more time. I was included in Christ Jesus when I believe the gospel. One more time, I was included in Christ. When I believe the gospel, if you believe it, give them a hand clap of prayer. Come on, let's leave excited. Slap your neighbor high five and say, preach the gospel. You are dismissed. Thank you for your patience. Have a great week. Come up for prayer if you would like to receive some or worship and hang out with us. Thank you for coming today. Gospel. I oh Lord, send us out here to preach it, to live it everywhere we go. Who I, I believe. believe. Jerry, would you pray right now for the gospel to go to our workplaces this week?
1: that you would open doors of opportunity. God, that someone would ask us what makes us different, what makes us joyful, why we always have a good attitude, why we're so quick to confess our mistakes, why we are living our lives in honesty and integrity when no one else is. God, I pray that those doors would bust open wide and we would be so eager to walk through it and say it's because Jesus is the Lord of my life, because Jesus set me free, because I fear the Lord, so I will be honest and I will have integrity and I will take those steps. Lord, I pray that the gospel would flourish, God, and that we would see our co-workers saved in the name of Jesus.
0: I'm going to have Rudy pray for the young people, whether they're in gangs or from broken families, that the gospel would come.
1: Oh, God. God, we believe, God. We believe that you have a plan and a purpose for each person, God, including the young people, the youth of this city, God. And I pray God that you would capture their hearts as they're young God that every situation they think that they cannot overcome the anger the bitterness the confusion God I pray at this stage that when they see you and they feel you they understand your love God I pray that their hearts would be captured by your love God capture the hearts of the youth oh God while they're still young and they could understand that God was with them through the days of their youth all the way until the day on their dying bed oh God I pray that you would start a revival in them God start a fire in their bellies where they will be ignited for you and your glory God where they would serve you all the days of their life God I ask God in the name of Jesus that you would start in them now oh God start in them now God
0: in Jesus mighty name thank you oh God Humberto I'm going to ask you to pray for everyone being around lost people for the fourth that will witness and preach the gospel
1: Father, we thank you for, uh, we thank you, Lord, for celebrating freedom in this country, freedom of religion. Uh, Lord, we ask you that uh, you would remind us, your people, remind us and convict us, Lord, that we have your freedom and that we can share your freedom. We're free to share your freedom. Lord, I will take advantage of the opportunity to share Your freedom with the lost, Father. And Lord, may You break the chains and may You open the cages of those who are lost and bound, Father. And may You set free those who are uh, away from You, are bound by the enemy, Father. In the name of Jesus.
0: Come on, we're going to keep worshiping and praying. Fill me up till I overflow. How many want God I to come in you and through you today? Fill me up till Til I overflow with you Fill me up till I overflow Fill me up till I overflow Fill me up till til I, til I overflow with you One more time then I'm going to have Ashley pray for our families
1: Fill me up till I overflow your unification, to have Christ-centered families, Lord, to be unified in you and know that you are a true father, that you are the one who watches over us. Lord, don't let the family become prideful and put you before and put them before you, Lord. Don't let the blessing be something that they idolize, Lord. Let them cast out the idols of their family and go towards you, Jesus. Let your hand be over them, healing their hearts. Let them not grow bitter against each other when offenses come. Let them treat their family as they would treat strangers. Don't let them go and have bitterness against them because of things that happen. But let them forgive and move on in you, Jesus. We praise you, Lord, for this and we pray for them to continue to grow in you and become stronger than ever because they are unified in you Christ.
0: One more time. Amen. You don't have to leave. We'll just dismiss the band though. Feel free to pray. We love you. God bless you. Have a wonderful day and a holiday. We'll see you soon.